Listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. My name is Gray Carter, and I am the worship pastor here. Uh, but today I get to teach, I get to share, I get to instruct, and maybe even prophesy as we continue the series in 1 Corinthians. Now, as we've been going through the series, we've been learning about uh, the context and some of the controversial topics of this first century church in Corinth. And today, as we read through the next few chapters, we're going to see that this church was a charismatic church. They were a charismatic church. If you don't know what that means, yeehaw. If you don't know what that means, that means they believed in the active work of the Holy Spirit, which manifested in the lives of the believers through the form of spiritual gifts, They believed in spiritual gifts. They operated in spiritual gifts. Now, this is a controversial topic. I don't know if you know how controversial this is. Uh, As I was researching, I found out more and more about how there's some some heated debates. Uh, I wanted to start off by reading the official real-life stance from our statement of beliefs about spiritual gifts, just to get us started. You know, real life is not a denomination. We are a collection of people that come from different backgrounds, different traditions, different uh, theological streams. And on this topic, we say it's not a salvation issue, which means your belief and your practice in spiritual beliefs, uh, spiritual gifts does not uh, determine whether or not you're saved. And so on this issue, we decide to come together in unity and not be divided by this. On the screens, let's read this. This uh, You can find this online on our website about spiritual gifts. It says, few areas of theology within the church have caused more division than the subject of spiritual gifts. And here is where the debate is. Some people in our church believe that all of the spiritual gifts spoken about in 1 Corinthians are for today. But then some people in our church believe that only some of the gifts are for today. And others believe that none of the gifts are active today. So you can see the potential for problem In our opinion, the subject does not constitute a salvation issue. So whether spiritual gifts are in use or not, the Spirit of God does not work contrary to the Word of God. You know, I've been researching this topic, kind of feeling the weight of it, knowing I had to teach about it. I didn't want to offend, knowing I had to be aware of this official stance. I was listening to debates And I was reading the scripture and commentary about it. But also over the last couple months, I've been asking people of this church, dozens of you, maybe a hundred people, just raise your hands. Have I asked you about spiritual gifts in the last couple months? Anybody in this room? Maybe a hundred people. I've just kind of been asking around. I want to know. I'm curious. I'm a curious person. I'm inquisitive. I want to know what do the people of this church actually believe? And do they practice spiritual gifts? And so, uh, um, you know, I'd ask questions uh, just out of nowhere. Some of the questions are, are the conversations were in long car rides. Some were at coffee shops. And some were just quick discussions, discussions in the lobby and even around town. And kind of out of nowhere, I would ask, what is your thoughts about spiritual gifts? You know, are they still active? Are they still for today? 
And it was interesting to see them process in the moment and to think about their answer. We don't talk about this issue, this idea, too much. And when I asked that question, there were some people in the church who right away, they said, yes, of course, the spiritual gifts are for today, right? Some people were like, I've seen healings. I've seen the miraculous gifts. I believe in speaking in tongues, discernment of spirits, messages of wisdom and knowledge. They said, of course, almost like, why are you asking? But then within this church, there's people from the other side of the spectrum. When I asked, are the spiritual gifts for today there's this negative reaction of, of, no, of course not. I've seen weird stuff, they said. I've seen spooky stuff. I've seen people fall down, slain in the spirit, shaking around. I've seen entire congregations speaking in nonsense syllables. It's weird. It's uncomfortable. I don't believe, this is what they said, I don't believe it's for today. I don't think it's real. Most of the answers were somewhere in the middle of the spectrum. You know, they were open to the idea, but they were cautious. You know, they believe in the work of the Holy Spirit. They believe spiritual gifts are in the Bible, but they're not quite sure how to practice them, and they're not part of their everyday walk, and they don't want to be weird, and they don't want to do anything weird. So they're open, but cautious. Now, if you don't know what a spiritual gift is, spiritual gifts are ways in which the Holy Spirit influences and activates specific potentials and capabilities within us for the purpose of building up the church community. Right? The Holy Spirit is working through us for the common good of the church. That's what a spiritual gift is. In those conversations with the people of this church, I asked some of the people, you know, what's your spiritual gift? Do you have a spiritual gift? Are you aware? One guy said he's a prophet. He has the gift of prophecy. And he says, but it gets him in trouble sometimes because it's not always done in love. And that's a major theme for these three chapters. You know, I heard answers like, uh, yes, I have discernment, words of wisdom and knowledge. Teaching, you know, preaching was a, was a gift. One girl said dancing, and she did like a little, little thing as she like, said it. What was interesting, um, I got this, this response several times. I would ask that, what's your spiritual gift? And I could tell they didn't want to say right away. They were being very careful. They were kind of reading my expressions to see if I was judgmental, right? And they would look around, make sure no one else was listening, and then finally they would kind of whisper and say, I speak in tongues, I speak in a spiritual prayer language. You know, over and over again, I got that answer. It was always kind of like this hush. It was for their private time. Or they would say their, their parents speak in a prayer language, or their wife, or their whole family. You know, I heard stories about people in this church who, when they were going through the lowest moments of their life, times that were too tough to bear, they didn't know what else to do, they didn't know what to pray. And out of nowhere, they start praying, not in English, not in a language they know, but for the first time, they pray, in a, they pray in a prayer language. This is a mysterious topic. It's controversial. And it was controversial in the time of the first century church in Corinth. See, it was speaking in tongues that was causing issues 
in the church. When they came together like this in the worship service, in the gathering, people were out of control. Picture 30 people speaking in tongues at the same time, loudly in the church service. It was causing disunity, distraction, discomfort, a dissonance within the church. You know, let's look, let's look at the context. Um, this church of Corinth was founded in 50 AD. Paul was on this missionary journey. He stops in Corinth and he starts his church. But right before this, just 20 years before this, was the day of Pentecost of Acts chapter 2. So just 20 years before this is when the Holy Spirit arrives and he invades this gathering of early Jesus followers. And the people are filled with the Spirit and they begin speaking in tongues, speaking in other languages. And this crowd forms and Peter, who now has the spiritual gift of boldness, Peter preaches this sermon and 3,000 3, people are, um, are baptized and added to the church on that day. And so the people of the church have this spiritual experience, this Holy Spirit encounter, their life has changed, and they are now equipped with spiritual gifts. And so from that day on, the early church was a charismatic church. They believed in spiritual gifts. They functioned and operated in spiritual gifts. In the book of Acts chronicles, just story after story of people moving in the spirit, miraculous gifts, speaking in tongues. Throughout the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, we read about stories in the book of Acts. And right during this time, right in the middle of all this, in 50 AD, this church, Paul plants this church in Corinth during all this. And so this church is excited, right? They're on fire. They've heard stories from Paul. They've seen the Holy Spirit move in their community. But they're immature young Christians, and they take it too far. They come into the worship gathering. And again, just picture, uh, you know, they had worship. They had prayer and scripture reading and instruction. But picture 12 people standing up and prophesying you know, declaring something out loud in church and 50 people speaking in tongues at the same time. And this lady over here smuggled in a tambourine for some reason. Just charismatic chaos. Yeah, they needed order. They needed a structure. They didn't have a model to observe. They had yet to be coached. And so Paul writes this letter to restore order in the worship service by giving them guidelines and structure and rules. And he also, in this letter, he wants to remind him what the reason is, what the purpose is behind the gifts. He wants to remind him of the heart behind the spiritual gifts. So let's see what Paul has to say about this. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 on the screen, he says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And this is a main point throughout these three chapters. It says these, all, all kinds of ways that the Spirit works within us and through us, but it always for the common good. He always brings it back to that. And so the question is, as you are functioning and operating in the gifts, is it helping anybody? Is it encouraging anybody? Is it edifying anybody? 
Are you strengthening the church? Or is it just a spiritual display? You know, it's not about being lost in ecstatic praise and monologuing in some unknown language. He reminds us here that the Spirit moves in different ways, but it's always for the common good. And so that's the question. You know, even as we lead worship, as we preach, as we serve in different ways, it should all be for the common good. You know, in that environment of the Corinth church, it's easy for pride and ego to sneak in the back door. You know, where it becomes, look how spiritual I am. Look at this display, the display of uh, spiritual gifts. Look how close to God I am. Look how holy I am. Look how mystic I am. You know, of course the Holy Spirit works through me. I'm awesome, right? I'm the guy who, who does miraculous gifts. I speak in tongues with volume and with eloquence. I can prophesy. Words of knowledge just pour out of me. Of course the Holy Spirit chooses to work through me. Ego, pride, self-righteousness can sneak in the back door. But again, Paul reminds us it's for the common good. As we go on, verse 8, he gives us nine gifts, nine manifestations of the Spirit. He says, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another message of knowledge from the same Spirit to another faith, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another miraculous powers, and there's prophecy and distinguishing between the spirits, also known as discernment of spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, different kinds of languages, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of of one and the same Spirit. He distributes them to each one, and he determines. So again, he gives us this list of nine gifts. Uh, This is not an exhaustive list. Throughout Scripture in different areas, different chapters and books, Paul gives us more spiritual gifts, and I bet there's even more that are not listed in the Bible. But here's nine that he chose to write to Corinth at this time, and he really focuses on prophecy and speaking in tongues. But the nine, the nine he gives us, a message of wisdom, message of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between the spirits, speaking in different tongues, interpretation of tongues. But he reminds us it's all from the same spirit. It's not about you. It's not about how gifted you are. It is the spirit who empowers us. The spirit distributes. He determines you know, I had this picture of this collection, this collective orchestra of different instruments. You know, every instrument has its own timbre and tone. And it's like the Holy Spirit is bringing us all together to play one song. He's bringing us all on the same piece of sheet music. He's reminding us it's not just about tongues. They were focusing on tongues. They were fixated on tongues. He's saying there's all kinds of ways. There's all kinds of service and workings and gifts and manifestations that the Holy Spirit works through us. And he uses this illustration of the body, the church as a body. He says all the parts are necessary, all the parts are needed, all the parts belong, all the parts honor every other part. 
If one part suffers, we all suffer together. And then this scripture stood out to me. Verse 18, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body. He has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. You know, we all come together as individuals into this church gathering, into the body, and we're all so diverse. We've been built differently, designed differently. We've all been created by God and shaped and formed and sculpted, and we all have unique potentials and capacities, and the Holy Spirit works through us all in different ways. Here he lists nine different ways. The Holy Spirit works for us in all kinds of different ways. It is the Spirit who determines, who distributes. And I like that God has placed us here. He has placed you here for a reason, for a purpose. Your part is needed. Your potentials, your capacities, your natural gifts, your spiritual gifts are all needed. They all come together in this divine orchestra of love that the Holy Spirit is orchestrating you know, I got this picture of the, or- of the Holy Spirit as a composer, as an orchestrator, as an arranger, and he's bringing us all in the same piece of sheet music, they're all in the same song. You know, I studied music in college. Uh, my degree was in music composition. I got my master's degree in music composition. And when I, I composed for all different kinds of instruments, for, for the harp, for classical guitar, and for voice, and jazz ensemble, and piano, choir. And when I was composing for a particular instrument, I would set up a meeting with a high-level student of that instrument. And we would meet in the practice room for about a half hour to an hour. And I would ask all kinds of questions. I imagine it was annoying. We'd go in the practice room. I just wanted to know, I wanted to see the limitations, the possibilities. It seemed like every instrument just had musical mysteries that were waiting to be uncovered. I want to know what is distinct about this instrument. What is odd? What are the random sounds that you can make? What are the idiomatic expressions? What can this instrument do that no other instrument can do? You know, in so many words, I would ask that. I would want to hear something. You know, play me something that you just seem to bring to life, that you're not just playing the notes at the right time, but where it seems like you become one with the instrument. You know, play me something that just feels like the truth. And I ask all these questions. And it was amazing being around all this talent and ability, all being expressed through these different instruments. And not only did I meet with individuals, but as a composition major, I wanted to learn from the larger groups, from the ensembles. Um, every Tuesday and Thursday around 1 o'clock, I would sit in the lobby of this old chapel on campus and I would listen to the advanced choir sing. There's this old chapel built in the early 1900s, and the acoustics just carried the voices, and the voices reverberated in such a way that it felt like you were being immersed in this music from centuries ago. And I would sit in the lobby and listen. And in that setting, in a choir, it's not about sticking out. You learn that really quick. It's not about doing whatever you want to do or displaying your full potential of abilities. When you're in a choir like that, it's about blending, supporting, harmonizing, becoming one, becoming something larger than each individual. And every voice is necessary. Every voice is important. 
Every voice belongs, but it's about blending, coming together in unity, and there's order and structure. There has to be rules when you come together in a larger group. It's the same for orchestra. I would sit in the back of the orchestra room and I would listen to the rehearsals. I would sit behind the percussionist. You know, and in this room, there's so many talented people and there's all these instruments. There's strings and woodwinds and brass and percussion. They're all so capable. They can put on high-level recitals. They've been training for years. But when you come into that setting, into the group setting, it's not about what you want to play. It's not about noodling or randomly playing Flight of the Bumblebee. When you come into the orchestra, there's order and structure and rules and guidelines. There just has to be. You know, and every instrument is important. Every instrument needed. Sometimes there's a solo instrument. And sometimes with your instrument, it's more about the notes you don't play. But it's about the common good, the collective good. If one part of the orchestra suffers, the whole orchestra suffers. If the first violin is honored, we all rejoice. And that's very much like the church body. All of us are needed. All of our gifts, natural and spiritual, all our potentials come together to create this divine orchestra, this composition that the Holy Spirit is orchestrating. And he's bringing us all in the same piece of sheet music. But again, he's reminding us, Paul is, that there's an order to things. There has to be order Uh, In verse 33, on the screen, he says, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. God is not a God of disorder. He's not a God of chaos or wackiness or instability. God's order, when properly displayed, brings a sense of peace and purpose and understanding. And so Paul's reminding them, when you all come together and speak in tongues at the same time, there must be an order. It's causing disorder, and God is a God of order. But this is interesting, and then this verse, uh, verse 18 on the screen, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul speaks in tongues. Paul has this gift. He thinks it's a wonderful gift. But he says, but in the church... In the gathering, in the worship service, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in tongues. All right, so he speaks in tongues. He speaks in a prayer language. You know, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about a praying in the Spirit. He makes that distinction between praying and understanding. And elsewhere in Scripture, in Romans, he says sometimes in our weakness, we don't know what to pray. And so the Holy Spirit prays through us with groanings that are too deep for words. So in some way, Paul speaks in tongues, but he's saying there's a setting, there's an environment where maybe speaking in tongues is better suited. You know, maybe in your prayer closet, Maybe in your small group, if the people in that group understand and you're not going to distract anybody. Maybe in your personal time of worship, that might be, depending on your context and your culture and your church, that might be the best place to speak in tongues and to pray in tongues. But when you come into the worship gathering, you know, it might not be too helpful. And why? Because it's not necessarily edifying. It's not encouraging. Is it helping anyone if we just all speak in nonsense syllables? Is it helping anyone if we all just 
uh, have ecstatic praise with uh, unknown languages. You know, there's a setting, there's a time, and there's a place. And in verse 5, he says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, you know, just as he does. But I would rather have you prophesy. I'd like you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. So he tells us to instruct in that earlier verse, in verse 19, he says, we should focus on instruction in this gathering, but he also says to prophesy, and that might feel weird to some of us in the room. What does it mean to prophesy? Well, in this context, it does not mean to predict the future. It does not mean to predict uh, the next presidential election. It does not mean to go up to a pregnant lady and try to predict the gender of her baby. That's all awful. This, in this context, it's all about the common good. It's about encouraging and edifying. So for Paul to prophesy is speaking spirit-prompted biblical truths of encouragement into someone's situation. Biblical truths, we're not adding to scripture, we're not adding to the canon, we're not predicting the future, and we're not saying God told me to say this. It's maybe more like I was praying and I think God put me on, put you on my mind and I think maybe he wants me to lay this before you. And it's always for encouragement. It's always to strengthen. It's speaking, sometimes our worship leaders will talk about prophetic songs and again, it's not songs that predict the future. It's singing songs that someone needs to hear in that moment. Maybe a group of people or maybe just one person. It, sings, it speaks right to the heart of that person. You know, biblical truths of encouragement spoken right to that person. And Paul says we should focus on prophecy. That's what he, he calls it. We could just call it spirit-prompted messages of encouragement for people within this church community. You know, a couple months ago, uh, I was sitting in in this building during church. We were in prayer, and it felt like the Holy Spirit deposited something in my heart to speak to somebody else. It came out of nowhere. And it's a person I don't know too well. I don't speak to this person too often. But I felt like there was a message I should... I should relate to this person. And again, it's not that, it's not, you don't say God told me to say it. It's more of like, I, I think that the Holy Spirit placed you on my heart and I think I'm supposed to lay this before you. And it's humbly and never a distraction and always an encouragement. So I feel like I'm supposed to tell this person something, this encouragement, and I, I don't. I chicken out or, or, or it gets too busy after church or whatever, for whatever reason, I just don't, I don't say it. And I think sometimes, you know, oftentimes maybe someone will kind of flow through your mind and you might think it's just a random thought, but maybe it's an invitation and we are called to encourage. And a lot of times we don't follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in those small things when that still small voice speaks to us and leads us. But I didn't say anything, but it was weird two or three weeks later, I'm in this, this kind of small group setting in one activity, they told us, pick one person in this room and encourage them. And that person happened to be in the room. And so it was like, it was like God was saying, okay, you chickened out. Follow. Follow what I say. 
And so it took me a while. And I, I don't remember the words, but it was something like, you know, I can see that you're walking in the calling that the Holy Spirit is guiding you in. You know, don't be discouraged. Don't listen to what people say if they say negative things. You know, keep walking. You you were designed with unique potentials and, and capabilities. You were designed for a purpose. You're here for a reason right now in this context, in this place right now. So walk with supernatural boldness. You know, you're right where you're supposed to be. I don't know where this is going to lead. I don't know where this path is going to end up. But I encourage you to keep following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that's more what Paul is talking about, prophetic words, prophetic messages. You know, and why does Paul ask us to prophesy? The reason is it encourages, it strengthens, it edifies, and it's for the common good. That's the theme, again, over and over again throughout these, these chapters. And why does he ask us? And I think because life is tough, ministry is tough, life is difficult. You know, as a worship leader, I try to always maintain an awareness that as people walk into this room, into this building on a Sunday morning, that a lot of us are suffering and struggling, broken, lonely, depressed, battling something. Can't always tell, you can't always see it. Broken marriages, mind battles. You know, all around us, people are suffering in silence. And to add to that, there's all these questions that, we, that just haunt us as humans. You know, do I belong? Am I wanted? Does God see me? Has he forgotten me? Is he disappointed in me? And there's biblical answers. There's verses that would speak to those questions. But what Paul is saying here is that sometimes the Holy Spirit, through men and women, take the truth of the word and personalize it. It doesn't add to scripture, it personalizes scripture. And it could be this beautiful reminder that I see you, you're needed, you belong. Keep walking. Keep following the Holy Spirit. It's strengthening. It's encouraging. It's edifying. You know, it was always about love throughout these three chapters. Not only does Paul give us order and structure, but he reminds us of the heart behind spiritual gifts. And in verse 13, he says this on the screen. He says, If I speak in tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, then I am only a resounding gong and a random clanging cymbal in the back of the orchestra. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, then I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardship that I, that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. You know, whatever we do, whether we preach lead worship, serve. Whenever we come in these, in these doors, whether natural abilities or spiritual gifts, the lens, the perspective, the, the motivation, the essence should always be out of a heart of love. 
It's the most spiritual thing that we can do. Love is the most spiritual thing that we can express or experience. It's the greatest indicator if the Holy Spirit is working through you. And so again, in these chapters, Paul is bringing us all as God's instruments onto the same piece of sheet music, onto the same song. But here he's also saying that love is the music of heaven that we get to play together in the here and now. He's bringing all these different instruments in this divine orchestration of love. I like this quote from Russell Moore. He says, In the New Testament, we don't find our gift through self-examination and introspection and then find ways to express it. Instead, we love one another, we serve one another, we help one another, and in doing so, we see how God has equipped us to do so. So just as Paul is saying, don't focus on the gifts. Don't strive and try to stir up some gifts. Don't think about how spiritually gifted you are. The focus should be on the common good, on encouraging, edifying, and strengthening, and on love. Love for God and love for one another. I want to end with this verse. Verse 14. Paul says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. And again, he says, especially prophecy. Well, I don't want us to get too caught up in whether the gifts are for today or not for today. Let's not get caught up in the label and the definitions of what a spiritual gift is or even what prophecy is. In these scriptures, we are told to focus. When we come together, we're told to focus on instruction in other areas of scripture, Paul tells us to worship, to sing song, songs and hymns and spiritual songs together, so we worship. But also here, he's saying we should focus on prophecy. And again, let's not worry about that word, but what it means is to speak biblical truths of encouragement into someone's situation. And I think a lot of times we forget that. And sometimes when I'm doing my best in my prayer life, I leave a space, I open my heart, quiet down and ask, Holy Spirit, is there someone I should encourage? Is there someone in my life, in my church, I should strengthen? Place someone in my mind and I wait. And you ask the question, you know, how might how I encourage them How can I build them up? How can I strengthen? How can I speak life into their situation? And it seems we're called to do this, to take the focus off of ourself, off of our ego, off of our spiritual displays, not focus on the gifts, but of love, and actively pursuing, following the Holy Spirit and how we love the Holy Spirit. How? Who might I encourage and how might I encourage them? I think it's a prayer that's important to keep in our lives that we be constantly mindful of the people, of the different instruments, the different people, different parts of the body in this church. When one part suffers, we all suffer. When one part is honored, we all rejoice. Let us be a church that encourages and strengthens and edifies and builds up and loves one another 
through our words and through following the Holy Spirit to do so. As we continue, we're going to take communion together. Let's get our elements ready. As we come into common union with uh, the people of the church and with the Holy Spirit, we remember the love of Christ. So the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember him. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's remember him. So let's give space. Let's kind of quiet down. Let's allow distractions to fade. Let's be present in this moment, in this room, in this church body. Let's pray. Lord, again, I pray that we would open our hearts to how you are leading. We would open our hearts to how you are speaking to the messages you are depositing in our hearts. I pray that we would follow where you are guiding. Lord, I pray that we would be instruments, that you would work through us, that we would come together knowing every instrument, every part is needed. We would come together in unity and harmonize and create something larger than ourselves where the whole becomes greater than the sum of its parts. Lord, we thank you for this reminder that we need each other and that we are important, that we are placed here for a reason, that we have unique potentials and capacities within ourselves, unique gifts for the church, natural and spiritual. Lord, I also pray right now, just as we quiet our hearts, Lord, would you place someone in our mind that we might encourage with an awareness that most people around us are struggling, going through some kind of battle, maybe feeling spiritually dead. Holy Spirit, work through us to lift them up. Let us see the value in one another, that we need one another Lord, give me someone I should encourage. And Lord, maybe give me a message or a word, a biblical truth of encouragement to speak into their life. I pray we'd have the boldness to follow your leading. I pray that this would be a prayer that we come back to every week and every day. And even though sometimes we don't feel encouraged or seen or noticed, we are reminded through Scripture and hopefully remind it through each other. Holy Spirit, work through us to encourage and strengthen and build and edify. Holy Spirit, move in this church, in this church community. We invite you in. Lord, we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. 
Until next time, have a great week.